0: History is full of amazing stories and memorable people, but we don't care about them.
1: No hits, deep tracks only.
0: Some of the most influential people in the world have been completely overlooked or just plain forgotten. I'm Phil, and each week I'll be joined by a friendly co-host to help me break down one of history's biggest moments and the forgotten people who made them happen.
1: Hi, I'm Trey. I'll be today's guest host, and like Phil, I'm no history expert.
0: We're just two regular people who enjoy a great story and plenty of laughs. This is History's B-Side. Today's B-Sider is one czar, two czar, dead czar, new czar.
1: Today's episode of uh, History's B-Side is my turn. My name is Trey. I am the guest for this week. Uh I originate from the Hiccups in History Podcast. Last week we discussed a very hungry Frenchman and uh this week we are going to be talking about a a topic that is less disgusting and more <laughs> weird in terms of historical figures, but as uh, alluded to by the title, we are discussing Russian history. And given the current state of uh, Russia and the Ukraine and all that is going on in the world, I just feel like this is uh, it is appropriate to make a suggestion to everyone that uh, if you have any ideas about what's going on and have seen some of the reports coming in of the devastation in Ukraine as a result of the war, I would highly recommend. Donating to the uh, Ukrainian Red Cross at www.icrc.org/en/donate/ukraine. Just they've uh, all the reports I've seen says the, R- the Red Cross is doing a great job at getting supplies to the non-combatants, uh, the civilians who are kind of caught in the crossfire of this conflict. And regardless of which side you stand for or which side you believe in. The people that are truly suffering are those without the guns, without body armor and tanks who are just caught in the crossfire and need as much aid and support as they can.
0: Yeah, I just I think it's important to maybe note that we're recording this at the beginning of the month of May and this probably won't air until later in the month. So I don't think we really expect much to change in the world landscape over the couple weeks between as we're talking about this and when <laughs> when it will become public. But regardless, I think the Red Cross is probably one of the best charities that you can donate to in any case, (laughs) regardless of how you feel about most any part of politics or life in general. There are certainly many worthy charities out there, so we just want to shout out at least one, but we will list a couple more charities in the show notes for this episode and link to them as well as the one that you mentioned with the Red Cross. That way, if anyone is listening and feels particularly moved, you can certainly do your part and see what you can do to Help make a difference in the world and do something better. It's very easy for us to sit behind microphones and talk about stuff that's happening in the past when there's very real stuff happening in the world today.
1: Agreed. Well, as stated before, uh, today we are discussing a time in Russian history that uh, I have been excited about talking about because there's a time where Russia went through a, uh, well, it is dubbed officially by history, the Time of Troubles. And
0: <laughs> boy, howdy, did they have a go of it. I almost made that a quiz question, so I'm really glad that I didn't. Because you would have ruined it like within the first five minutes of this episode. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was like, I bet that's in his outline somewhere, and I glanced through it and i didn't see it but i i was like it's either going to be too obscure to like know what this time period was referred to as or you definitely knew it already and clearly you definitely knew it already <laughs> so it's a good thing i found other quiz questions for you later on
1: well i am i'm glad that uh i'm glad that i didn't accidentally spoil a, a quiz question
0: and maybe for the people who are listening to this episode before having heard you on last week's episode we should clarify the fact that like even though you said in the intro that you're not a history expert and i'm you can claim that you're not an expert you certainly know history more than i do because (laughs) you study it i i do i
1: do it uh just to reiterate (laughs) i have a bachelor's in classic civilization with a minor in general history and i am at the time of recording uh currently working on my master's degree in american history
0: yeah so you might be shy on the word expert, but as far as the two people sitting here talking about history, you are the expert.
1: <laughs> well, I will try my best to live up to that title today. <laughs> to uh, give this, uh, my fav- one of my favorite things to uh, talk about when it comes to history is context. I am very big on the idea that nothing happens in a vacuum. So I will give a brief history of Russia at this time period i won't go through all of russian history but just uh, the immediate surrounding context beginning first with the uh father of what will become our titular uh main characters of this series that being ivan the IV fourth of russia first czar of russia better known as, to history as ivan the terrible he was born the grand prince of moscow uh he was born to the Grand Prince of Moscow, uh, Vasily III. I will also note that that is probably the easiest Russian name I will ever pronounce. So, uh, warning to anybody who knows Russian, I am sorry ahead of time.
0: In case people weren't tired of us butchering French last week, they can hear <laughs> us butcher Russian. Russian this week. Yes, time for the Russian. Let's just offend all the people in the world Let's uh, one, who don't have good American names. Yeah. <laughs> One language at a time. (laughs) Vasily
1: III rose to power in 1533 and conquered most of the southern portions of Russia. He was the first man to take the title of Tsar of uh, Russia. Uh, He was a reformer for the most part, uh, as well as a military man. He created the Advisory Council of Russia, which is modeled after the French system of the three houses uh, that you talked about last week. He also reformed the legal codes, and he did a lot of stuff. And all around, Vasily was a pretty good leader.
0: Do you know how Russia differed geographically then from what it does today? Like, would it have been larger, a larger amount of land?
1: Um, it was smaller, actually, at this time. If I remember correctly, at this point in time, yeah, they had not fully even conquered out into Siberia yet. This was very oh. much a European Russia. This was starting off like the the main area originally was uh the principality of Moscow, which is where uh Vasily III started off at and then uh slowly over time uh the different czars would expand outwards Hmm. so Ivan takes over from his father Vasily III and continues with uh, his reforms and reform systems and at the early stages uh, he does gain the moniker the terrible but it's more of a good thing at this point in time it's less terrible in the sense of oh he's done something terribly wrong and more of he's majestic and awe-inspiring. He's fierce and less <laughs> less murdery, although that will come later. <laughs>
0: so he grew into his
1: name. He definitely grew into his name. He uh, as leading into this, uh, after the, uh, what is dubbed the Livonian War, where he conquers Livonia, or attempts to conquer Livonia anyway, Ivan got very, very upset at his advisors and had a bunch of them executed because they weren't performing the war correctly. <laughs> And then after killing his advisors, he got very paranoid because he killed his advisors and was worried that his remaining advisors, and the new ones, were plotting against him for having killed their friends. And so he then started killing them too. And it's a great plan. Yeah, and it just kind of spiraled into this uh, reign of terror where he was pillaging the countryside, burning his own towns, and just overall being a paranoid wreck.
0: It seems like a pretty frequent theme of history that leader gets power power makes him paranoid paranoid spirals into a reign of terror
1: yeah there's so many stories in history of good leader gone crazy (laughs) it always starts out nice and then they always live long enough to become the villain (laughs) (laughs) just why i always i always find it funny when you read like um alt histories or historical what ifs of like what if this great leader who died young continued to live on? And in the back of my head, I'm like, maybe he would go on to be this great reformer and continue to do all the awesome things. But track records in history show he'd probably go crazy at some point.
0: Yeah, usually it doesn't
1: work out so well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So then Mr. Ivan the Terrible decides that he doesn't want to be Tsar anymore, sort of. And so, at two separate occasions, he abdicates the throne, and puts just another dude on the throne. I don't remember fully which one it was, but I think one of them was one of his brothers, and one was just, like, a nobleman that he just, like, plucked and said, this guy's czar now, and then, like, (laughs) dipped out to the countryside. And then he, like, the other dude ruled for a little while, and then people didn't like the other dude, so then... They called for Ivan to come back, and then Ivan came back. And one there's one theory that goes around, which I think is pretty plausible, is that Ivan sort of knew he was terrible. Like, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> and so he understood that people were going to get mad at him. So what he would do is he would put these puppets on the throne to sort of commit other heinous acts, specifically against the nobility. And then when the nobility are like, we don't like you... Ivan would come back and go, oh no, you don't like this guy? Oh, well, uh, he must have done some terrible things. I guess I'll kick him off the throne and come back. (laughs) There, I'm Tsar again. Everything is fine. But he wouldn't, like, reverse any of what he did. So the other guy would, like, confiscate lands from the nobles. And then Ivan would come back and depose the other guy, but he didn't give back any of the land. So it's just still
0: remained a terrible situation overall it's really not a bad strategy i mean it's not good for the people or the country or anything but like from a leadership standpoint it's really not a bad strategy because like you can get away with a lot and then it's like the devil you know type thing where you step aside and let someone else be equally bad and they're like you know what Maybe Ivan wasn't so bad, and then you step in and you get to reap the rewards of all the terrible stuff that the other person did. I mean, it helped extend out his reign. I mean, <laughs>
1: it it did help, although what uh, would end up not helping is when it came to his succession, which is always a... I just want to point this out. Succession crises are like one of the most popular crises in all of history. No matter what, you could be the best ruler in the world, but like half the time, they just choose the wrong person or can't decide, and so they leave their their crown to three people, and then those three people quickly become a very bloody one person, and it's never a, a never a good time. But uh, Ivan was not a very good father. He his son was married to a woman who he then forced him to divorce and banished her. Then he had him marry another woman who he then forced him to divorce and banish. And then he married him, his son off to a third woman. The third woman got pregnant. But then in some fit of rage over something, Ivan beat the third wife so severely she miscarried his potential future heir. Yikes. So overall a ter- like living up to that Ivan the Terrible Name. And so Ivan's eldest son uh, was not happy about any of this so he decides to go talk to his father and try and discuss things with him and ivan took this criticism not well and beat his son to death with a cane which led to a very famous painting of a very distraught ivan cradling his bludgeoned son which, for the longest time, at least the perspective in the painting made it look like, in my mind, that Ivan was eating the top of his son's head. But it's him cradling his son. It's it's a very haunting-looking photo. Ivan looks absolutely out of his mind in it.
0: Maybe he just had some really bad anger management problems. He could and... have benefited from a therapist, I feel like. I mean, that seems to express some remorse for his actions, but I, I'm, not in a way that it would prevent them from happening in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. And I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist, but he definitely does display some amount of bipolar to him because like you said, it is, yeah. there, there is that show of remorse. So perhaps he was in some form of episode and then came out of it and it was like, oh God, what have I done? You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm viewing it, I guess.
1: Yeah. Uh well, he didn't have to live with his grief for very long because he died of a stroke in fifteen eighty five while playing chess. <laughs> I it that's just like he just dropped dead one day. So then with his eldest son dead, the throne fell to his next oldest son, uh a man named Fyodor the First Ivanovich. Which I think Fairly certain I pronounced that correctly. The problem with poor young Fyodor the Ivanovich is he was, by all sources, handicapped. He uh, was weak of will, weak of body, and weak of mind, and he quickly came under the power, powerful influence of his wife. Some sources say his mother and his wife's brother-in-law Boris uh, Gudanov, because of his. Infirmness, as it was, it's often called. He became a puppet czar very quickly. The mother, kind of, if she was, there was like one or two sources that mentioned the mother, but she quickly gets eclipsed by uh, Fyodor's wife and specifically wife's brother Boris Gudanov, who becomes this figurehead. And honestly, for all intents and purposes, it's not a bad rule. Like, really, not a bad rule. You mean like
0: successful rule, like
1: yeah. He uh, there okay. was a lot of reform. Some good conquests came out of it, actually under uh, Fyodor, That's when they first start pushing into Siberia uh, up in the north. And honestly, for the amount of time that he reigned, uh, quote unquote reigned, he was a puppet for Boris. It was a peaceful time. It was actually uh, it was a almost a welcome relief from the insanity that was his father. But because of his infirmity, he did not last very long. Complications, probably uh, due to his health, came in. And uh, he died in 1598. Again, seemingly of natural causes. No sources ever point to any amount of foul play. Hmm. But because of his infirmity, he didn't have any kids. So... In order for the dynasty, uh, what is called the Rurik dynasty, which is um, Ivan's dynasty, kind of named after one of his ancestors, and it's just kind of one of those lines, uh, the name that kind of continues down the line, Fyodor's brother-in-law, Boris Godanov, took over and was proclaimed czar of Russia. So on the back of Fyodor's death and Boris's proclamation as czar, things take a turn for the worse. Not necessarily because of anything Boris did, although we'll get into what he does later. It was just one of those bad times because a famine hit, a really bad famine that killed about a third of the population within three years of Fyodor's death and Boris's rise to power.
0: That seems to be a common theme in Russian history, too, that they have some famines that are not great for the Russian people. Yeah, um... Is that a common theme, like throughout Russian history, or is that maybe in my mind, amplified because of you know Stalin's planned economy? It
1: is actually somewhat of an issue throughout Russian history. The problem with uh Russian famines is the way the land systems are worked. they are They are feudal societies, so there's serfdom being put into place which means that the peasantry cannot move around to kind of rotate cropping lands. So people are consistently having to continually plow the fields over and over again, which kills the crops, uh, eventually uh, kind of sucks all the nutrients out of the land. Additionally, Russia is huge and hard to navigate. So yeah. transportation of food is also a big issue. So maybe they had a good crop harvest, but because of a bad winter, or particularly muddy spring, they couldn't get food distributed in the markets, and so that causes a famine. So there's a lot of a lot of issues going on within uh, Russia, food-wise. Right. And uh, this event, this famine, is the gateway to what is dubbed the Time of Troubles. Just to skim over, uh, this whole event that I'm going to be talking about takes place within the Time of Troubles, but to Just kind of explain why they're called the Time of Troubles. The famine happens. Over the course of the Time of Troubles, Russia is occupied by Poland-Lithuania for something like 10 years until 1612, which becomes a very traumatic moment, probably, given what Poland-Lithuania has happened to them
0: on behalf of the Russians. And we talk about that in some past episodes of History's B-Side. But I also, this just like dawned on me, is maybe kind of irony when we... I mean, we referenced at the beginning of this talking about the current situation where Russia is invading Ukraine, basically on the false narrative that because Ukraine used to be a part of the Soviet Union, that Russia is entitled to that land. But if you're saying that Poland Lithuania occupied Russia, maybe Russia should be a part of Poland or Lithuania today. (laughs) (laughs) By the same logic, right? By the same.
1: I mean, you're not. I I follow that logic very 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 well. Um, over the course of this whole period of time, uh, the Tsardom changes hands something like six times within five years, uh, and only that only ends in 1613 when the Romanov dynasty takes over. Overall, the death toll is somewhere—numbers r- differ, but accounts say somewhere between 1 to 1.2 million people, which, depending on what your perspective is, is both extremely large and extremely small— it's a very large number of people, but compared to, say, the death toll of the French Revolution, which is double that, it's a small number. So,
0: comparatives I and mean, context
1: aside, it's a lot of a people.
0: A million people is no small number in any context.
1: Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of death going on in this time period. How long does this time period last? Uh, this time period lasts uh, about 10 years, okay. roughly. This is roughly a 10-year period of just bloodshed, war, a famine, and occupation. Like, it is not a not a great time. It is dubbed the Time of Troubles for a reason.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> that is the background information, and there's a lot there. So I figure this is a good time. We can take a small break, and then when we come back, we'll dive into the life of the youngest son of the Tsar, uh, a young man named... Dimitri.
0: We'll be right back. Boop. Before you inevitably skip this ad, take a moment to boop the snoot of your furry history's B-side companion.
2: And while you do, why not just the ad play in the background? Odie, get off the microphone!
0: Boop. (laughs) But seriously... We just wanted to take a minute to tell you some ways you can support the podcast on our website, historiesbside.com.
2: The first and most direct way you can support our podcast is by signing up for a membership. You can join at any monthly contribution level, but we suggest $10 to start. Though, please feel free to pick whatever fits into your budget. A membership will get you access to monthly boneless episodes, show notes, future episode cues, surprise gifts, and more.
0: We also have on there our merch shop, which includes things like t-shirts, hoodies, hats, drinkware, bags, stuff for adults, kids, and dogs, so you can rep your favorite history podcast everywhere you go.
2: You'll also find extras, including free stickers, bookmarks, and postcards. You can suggest an episode topic or submit a question about the podcast, one of our episodes, or even about us.
0: That website, again, is historiesbside.com. And now, back to the episode. Boop!
1: And welcome back. Let's begin the tale of young Dimitri. Uh, Young Dimitri was the youngest son of Ivan the Terrible. He was born to Ivan's seventh wife, and he was considered... What is, uh, I have seen termed as a half-bastard. What does that mean? Half-bastard means that he was born in wedlock. Like Ivan was married and they had the kid, but the church apparently didn't recognize the marriage. So his claim to legitimacy at birth was shaky. But then again, he was the youngest son, so he was never really intended to... Inherit
0: anything. So, spoilers. Um, your quiz is going to have more to do with Ivan the Terrible than it will Young Dmitri, <laughs> because they're just. You, I know you're going to cover him pretty thoroughly. That's But fair. one of the things I read was that he had something like eight wives, but only four of them were recognized by the church or something like that. I might be yeah. misremembering that. Why is that? Because I, I did read that he was like a pretty devout Christian. As odd as that may seem. As odd but, as uh, may, yeah. Yeah, but why wouldn't they have recognized half of his marriages?
1: Uh, it depends on how uh, he would have gone through any of the divorce proceedings. Because up to a certain point, the church did not recognize divorce for certain reasons. So you had to have a legitimate and good reason to divorce a wife. Those could be... Uh, infidelity was a big one. So if your wife was unfaithful, you could get a divorce. Uh, and the other biggest one was if your wife could not bear you a child, you could divorce her, uh, for the sake of securing your, your family line. So reasons behind his non-recognition could have been, he divorced a wife that did not meet those criteria. And so therefore the church would not recognize the marriages.
0: It's surprising to me. And I mean, this just kind of goes along with the terrible people of history theme, I guess, but it's surprising to me that he wasn't able to just like falsely accuse some of these women of those reasons just to legitimize the divorce. Like I'm sure that someone in his position would not have had a hard time accusing a woman of being unfaithful or something to get out of his marriages. And he probably could have. Um the tricky part is not the accusation.
1: The tricky part is convincing the church that the accusations are true. And I feel like a lot of times the church is particularly like if a commoner were or like a even a minor noble was to say, hey, my wife's been sleeping around, I want a divorce, the church might not blink at that. But if all of a sudden the king is like I need a divorce from this wife. Okay, fine. And then the next one he asks for a divorce. And then another one. Like after about like after let's say he gets through 4 of them and then the la- after the end of the fourth one they're like, "Okay, man, you've had four divorces. <laughs> you've got at least two sons already. What more do you want?" He's like, "No, no, no. I uh, she's been fer- she's she's infertile or she's not, you know. She's been unfaithful. I need a divorce." They're like, "No." They're, like they're going to have caught on to
0: his tricks by that point and they're probably going to start denying him i think i'm more surprised that like the church can stand up to the king but i think that also speaks to just the importance of the church in it is it's the importance
1: yeah they're very powerful especially at these periods of time because uh they have power to the faithful because the faithful believe that you know they control the gate to their mortal soul in heaven uh, or to hell, and then they are also powerful in the sense that they could declare him a heretic, and all of a sudden, then all of his peasantry and nobles have every amount of legitimacy they need to kill him. Right. So there's that that manipulation factor.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, speaking of manipulative actions, uh, when Ivan died, Fyodor the uh, First, Dmitri's older brother, took power, and as stated previously. Fyodor was not really the power behind the throne. The person who was the power behind the throne was Boris Gdanov. And Gdanov did not want anyone challenging Fyodor's right to the throne. So he exiled young Dmitry and, and his mother to a small town well over 100 miles outside of
0: Moscow. So if Fyodor was the let's call him the acting czar, even if he was just kind of like a puppet. Yeah. What was Boris's role in the government? I understand he was like his brother-in-law, but like, did he have an actual title?
1: Off the top of my head, um, he did not have an official title uh, that I can think of, though he probably had some form of regent title. Uh, He probably was like Lord Regent or First Regent or something like that, or an advisor. Mm Mm-hmm. Though he would not have really even needed one because he was a noble unto himself. And at that point in time, uh, just being related to the the Tsar, to the ruler of Russia, gave you a degree of authority. Because you're like, I'm the Tsar's brother-in-law. I'm the Tsar's, you know, I'm married to the Tsar's sister. Like, I have power because of that relationship.
0: Even more so than I'm the Tsar's little brother. Or was it because uh, it was like a half brother that wasn't recognized by the church? That is one of the reasons why he was able to be bu- pushed
1: around was because of that. He's okay. considered a half bastard, so yeah. the he was basically uh, he also there also is uh, something to be said about moving quickly. This exile came very quick after Fyodor took power, so he probably didn't want to give people time to rally around the young potential tsarling, mm-hmm. and we're just like, nope, nope, off to off to a small town with you. Got it. Although not long arrive, uh, not long after arriving at this town, uh, eight-year-old Dimitri was found dead with his throat, throat slashed open. Now, logically, we, with hindsight and years of history between us, can look back and say, that's some foul play. But officially, the actual legitimate official report was that the young eight-year-old Dimitri was out one day playing with a knife, And had a seizure,
0: which forced the knife to cut his own throat. I mean, we know a lot today about accidental Russian deaths. Yeah. (laughs) guess they're not as new. (laughs) Yeah, there's a long history of
1: of accidental deaths. Uh, (laughs) People... Oh no, he had a seizure. It
0: seems to have cut his own throat. How could this happen? Just weirdly fell out of a window. Or got really sick from drinking a sealed water bottle. Oh no. (laughs) What a tragedy.
1: Of note in this situation, the person who proclaimed the verdict, who kind of did the, uh, it wasn't really an autopsy, but like who, you know, pronounced the death was a uh, a noble by the name of Vasily uh, Shusky. I think I pronounced that right. And uh, this man would become one of the men to claim the throne during the coming times of trouble. <laughs> so uh, he totally did not have any motivations whatsoever to potentially hide anything going on here. <laughs> that being said, my money's on this guy having iced the eight-year-old. <laughs> That's just where my money is. So, at this point, Dimitri's dead. He's gone, he's dead, he's buried. Or is he? You see, after uh, Fyodor just kind of dropped dead at the age of 40, uh, and the ancient Rurik dynasty of Ivan sort of just came to an end, there was no heir to the throne. There was no one to take power. So the brother-in-law, as mentioned before, uh, Boris uh, Godanov, Just kind of used his uh, pull with the nobility plus his marital status to claim next-in-line status and stepped in. But a few years after Boris had taken the throne, roughly around 1603, out in the provinces, there was a monk. Originally by the name of Grigory Bogdanovich Atrepev. Sounds right to me. Yeah, uh, (laughs) that guy. Uh, began to proclaim that he was, in fact, the true heir to the throne and that he was actually Dmitri, who had survived the assassination attempt and fled into hiding, taking on the fake name of Grigori and emerging now to reclaim his throne. And by all accounts, this guy actually believed his own hype. He actually <laughs> seemed to believe that he was the real Dmitri, And, I mean, he could have been. But the likelihood of him being the real Dimitri is the same likelihood as an 8-year-old boy randomly having an epileptic seizure and slitting his own throat.
0: So, I don't know. Toss of the dice. So, do we know for sure that young Dimitri was actually killed? Or is it, like, up in the air that maybe he wasn't really killed?
1: So, this is where we get into the kind of conspiracy theory tinfoil hat moments in history. Because... According to official documentation and a declaration by a, a noble, by that Vasily Shushki, this kid, the corpse that was on the ground with the throat slit, was Dmitri uh, of Russia. Was Dmitri of uh, Dmitri Ivanovich? Like this was the heir to the throne. But when this other dude, Grigori, comes out of nowhere and starts proclaiming himself to be Dmitri, I mean. He was, according to records, he was the right age, uh, roughly, and he was, I mean, compared to an eight-year-old, he sort of looked like the kid uh, by by some accounts. So it, it could be questioned, but most historians seem to agree that this was just a monk who kind of went a little crazy.
0: Well, that's it's weird to me because, like, if there's any chance of this Grigory Bogdanovich whatever his name is, actually being Dimitri. Like he has, we know his name, it's Grigory Bogdanovich, whatever. So like he has to have some history before becoming this monk. So I'm just, I'm really, I guess, confused by how anyone could believe that he might be someone that he hasn't been his life up to this point. Or if he's just like a opportunist who found a potential way to come to power.
1: We think you might have been an opportunist. One of the things about this time period is, like, we have, you know, records and the ability to go back and search through things. At this point in time, there isn't anything like a birth record. There isn't birth certificates and stuff like that. You are who you say your name is. And monks at this time often moved around and traveled around. They weren't always stuck in monasteries as we think of them. And additionally... They didn't really ask questions. So when, let's say, hypothetically, young Dimitri, having just escaped assassination, went into hiding and fled to a monastery, uh, when they ask him, hey, what's your name? And he just goes, "Uh, Grigori, my name is Grigori. Who are they going to be to question him? But then, you know, he's only going to be known that one monastery. So all he needs to do is move towns... And suddenly people are like, hey, who are you? And he can go, I'm Dmitri, the real heir of Russia. <laughs> and if he can convince the right people, then he can gain a following.
0: <laughs> just, it's, it's funny, but like, I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird and ridiculous, which is why I love
1: this story, because it is so outlandish. <laughs> Once he kind of made his debut onto the scene... Uh, one report says that he flees to Poland, chased out by Boris, Tsar Boris's men. Another source says that he didn't start proclaiming himself as Dmitry until he was already in Poland. Regardless, whichever source is correct, this new, uh, this new guy kind of steps up and says, I am Dmitry, the one true ruler and rightful heir of the Russian throne, of the Tsardom. I will also now be referring to him as FD1 or False Dimitri I, uh, for short. And he makes his way to the court of King Sig- Sigismund III Vasa of Poland, Lithuania. And King Sigismund, hearing the plight of this last surviving, totally legitimate Rurik, stood up and cried out at the injustices of it all and swore to put this exiled prince on the throne of Russia. And this declaration had absolutely nothing to do with Dmitry being the perfect excuse to invade Russia and place a puppet king on the (laughs) throne. Nope, this was totally a war of justice. So Poland was not occupying Russia yet? Not yet. So this is the start of where we start getting Poland putting its fingers into the Russian pie. Gotcha. One source also I want noted, uh, just just because it's funny. uh, One source says that King Sigismund never actually met... FD1, never met False Dimitri 1. Uh, he just heard about him and then just tasked a bunch of nobles to go back in with troops and money. He's just like, yeah, that sounds good.
0: Go. That seems more legit. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: it, like, it doesn't. Like, I I hold that he didn't actually. This random dude claiming to be a czar didn't actually make it to the Lithuanian Polish Lithuanian throne room. I think he just made his plight to some nobles. The nobles told the king, and the king was like, Alright, fine. You, 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 and you. Take your troops, go back him into Russia. Go put him <laughs> on the throne. Regardless of whatever source is correct, the end result is that, uh, that Grigory went into Poland as a crazy monk and uh, and exited Poland, a crazy monk, now named Dmitry, and at the head of an army. FD1 re-entered Russia at the perfect time to overthrow the Tsar. Uh, the famine that I mentioned uh, at the beginning uh, had just finished kind of running amok through the land and Tsar Godanov was not really good at crisis management and so everything was on fire and people were rioting and the nobles were unhappy. So FD1 marched his army into Russia and unfortunately was swiftly beaten militarily because crazy monks tend not to make the best military commanders. Just a lesson to (laughs) be learned. Can't imagine why. Yeah, no. But despite his military setback, Uh, FD1 found a groundswell of support amongst the Russian people and specifically the Cossacks. And FD1 did what any good politician would do at this time, and promised everything to everyone uh, if they would help him take the throne.
0: I'm on a real hard time not drawing comparisons to some recent, somewhat recent American politics. (laughs) I alone can fix this. I alone can fix this.
1: I promise that we will do everything. <laughs> Just vote for I'm me. Gonna,
0: I'm not even going to say the make Russia great again <laughs> joke. <laughs> uh, that, w- that was basically
1: what he was promising, though, at this point. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I'm sure. Yep. Uh, so with the people uh, swelling to his side, uh, FD1 received more good news. Vasily Shushky, the guy who originally declared the first Dimitri to be dead, now declared that FD1 was the real Dimitri who had escaped assassination. Why would he change his mind? Uh, there are two theories. The first theory is that the original death proclamation was a lie, and he was just telling the truth now. Uh, <laughs> that is supporting the theory that this Dimitri is the true Dimitri. The other theory is that as a noble he and the other nobles were really not fond of Tsar uh, Gadanov. He had mismanaged the famine, he was not popular with the people, he was not popular with the nobles, and it's likely that Vasily just saw the winds of, you know, power changing and threw his lot in with the invader and just used what he had at his disposal, which was a death proclamation that he made that he can now unmake. (laughs)
0: That makes sense.
1: Yep, So, with an army of the people at his back, Polish troops in his ranks, and Russian ability giving him his, their support, and an endorsement from Shushki, FD-1 was ready to storm Moscow and seize his throne. And then Gdanov dropped dead. And his kids were then killed by the boyars, which are Russian nobles. So now, in June of 1605, FD-1 was czar. good work with everyone good well well done good job (laughs) yeah so now fd1 was czar and like any politician he immediately got to work not fulfilling any of the promises he made to anyone so he's a politician yeah he's just straight up a politician
0: so i'm sorry yeah go ahead in the record of russian history this fd1 becomes Czar. if if i were to look up a list of past czars right now his name would i assume appear on it is he listed as Dmitry ivanovich or whatever his last name was or would it be listed as grigory bogdanovich whatever
1: uh if you were to look him up and you were to type in like his like you know list of russian czars you would find a list that would contain a name of Dmitry the first but A lot of times I either see a little star there, or like a little asterisk, or a question mark, or parentheses false nearby. (laughs) Because we're just not certain, and also because of what comes next. Okay. (laughs) So, over the course of roughly the next year, FD1 acted less like a czar and more like a man put on the throne by the Polish.
0: Why not both?
1: Yeah, he ended up alienating literally everyone. Uh, Except the Polish. He spoke predominantly in Polish, or at least he could speak Russian, but he chose to speak Polish. Uh, I don't know why anybody would, but, you know. (laughs) Uh, He also married a Polish noblewoman instead of a uh, noblewoman from Russia. He also was very, very Catholic. And the Russians are very, very Eastern Orthodox. (laughs) So that rankled everybody The wrong way, completely. So then, about a week after his wedding, good old Vasily Shusky decided that no Dmitri shall live while he still holds breath, and he organized a coup and assassinated FD (laughs) one, casting his body to the angry mob who tore him to shreds. And according to some sources, a jester's mask was placed on his stomach. As a sort of representation of his false facedness
0: so Shushki's now killed dimitri twice
1: yes, he is now he has now <laughs> killed dimitri twice um and he's going to hold the record for most dimitri's killed uh, and there's another part to this uh to this guy's end, which I just i have to note that. What I'm about to say next is not very well documented. I've only been able to find, like, one source that corroborates it. But the source I found is fairly trustworthy. So I'm going to go with it and say it's true just because it's super funny and super petty. After the body was mutilated and burned, uh, which is a true fact that we know did happen, uh, the part we aren't sure about is where they then took the ashes loaded them into a cannon and fired them out of the cannon in the general direction
0: of Poland. <laughs> what does general direction mean in this context? Is it just west? I think it was just west. Just I think point the cannon's west. It fired it in the general direction of Poland. Have you ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail?
1: Yes, I have.
0: I fought in your general direction. That's direction <laughs>
1: precisely what this is, which is why I real like I want more sources to corroborate this because it's just so <laughs> funny. So now FD one is dead. So Dmitri uh, the first, whether he was ori- the original Dimitri that had escaped assassination once or was a completely separate guy, debate's over. No matter what, dude's dead and dead, buried, dug up. Burned and then shot out of a cannon. Uh he is gone. <laughs> and so now uh Vasily Shushky, shortly after airmailing F D one back to Poland via cannon airlines, is declared by the nobility to be Tsar of Russia. And he's declared this just because he is a noble and basically the leading guy in the region. So they're just like, okay, you can be uh you can be Tsar now. And uh, Shusky would rule with an iron fist for like two years, roughly. Uh, he ended up putting down some rebellions by the Cossacks. But for the most part, uh, things were looking up for old Shusky until, from the back, Dmitri is back again. <laughs> in- insert dramatic piano music. Dun, dun, dun. FD1 was killed brutally in the streets, very publicly. But according to some of the skeptics at the time, they believed that this miraculous Dmitry had escaped death once again in the commotion in the crowd because his body was so brutally mutilated. And uh, so that theory that was kind of dancing around the streets of, uh, of Moscow and of Russia was picked up by a man named uh, Mikhail Molchanov. Mikhail Molchanov. Now, Mikhail was a Russian nobleman who had been a part of the coup that had killed Tsar Godanov's kids and put FD1 on the throne. And like the rest of the nobility, he really did not like Shushki. And this is (laughs) quoting actual sources. He found some random Belarusian guy who could speak Polish and Russian and was a Russian Orthodox Christian and who sort of looked like the first Dmitry and said, hey, everyone, look. Dmitry, the heir to the Russian throne, is alive, and he's the true czar of Russia, and you should all <laughs> back this man.
0: So, this new guy is claiming to be Dmitry, survivor of two assassination attempts, and not like... The way I expected this to go was that they said that FD1 was not the real Dmitry, and this guy is claiming to be the original Dmitry. now finally coming to life. You light. would
1: think, but... No, all sources that I've seen point to this is not supposed to be 8-year-old Dimitri who survived. No, this is supposed to be FD1 again. This is supposed to be FD1 who <laughs> in the chaos and commotion slipped out and was not actually killed and shot out of a cannon. So yeah, that's what this... They they decided to go the hard way instead of the easy way. <laughs> And people bought it, which is the craziest part. People actually bought into it. It helped that the widow of FD1, that Polish noblewoman, uh, actually backed his claim and said that this is my husband, clearly. Which, again, just screams of the nobility just really not liking Shushky and doing anything to get him out of power. Uh, Because I've seen the paintings and sketches of these two, and they don't look alike. I mean, they both look like Russian dudes, but, like, they
0: don't look the same. Does FD2 look like he's been burned and shot out of a cannon? And maybe that's all the difference? No, he
1: does not look like that. That's the That might have been the reason. Maybe it's because I was looking at a pile of ash scattered across the Polish landscape. <laughs> um, so much like Dimitri, uh, the first Dimitri, FD1, uh, FD2 rallied the Cossacks, Poles, and Lithuanians and the peasantry to his side and actually managed to amass a pretty sizable army. Like, he got a good amount of people under his belt. FD2 then marched on Moscow and actually won a battle against Shushki's army and managed to take most of Russia under his control. Like, This was some random, like, this was FD2, like, rallied a bunch of random people and managed to beat the actual, like, trained army in battle and took (coughs) control of a large portion of Russia. And he would have won completely if the Swedes, of all people, hadn't intervened on behalf of Shusky and helped push FD2 all the way to the south to a village called Tushino. Uh, where FD2 uh, kind of looked around and said, all right, I can live with this, and set up a court, like a full-on <laughs> czarist court, and ruled the south of Russia from that village and ended up gaining the nickname Thief of Tushino. So now there are two Tsars in Russia for a while, but because of the Swedish intervention, now the Polish crown invades Russia to basically lay claim on Russia against the Swedes. And it just becomes this big, like, you've got the Swedes invading, Russia split by Shushki in the north, FD2 in the south, the Poles to the west, and the Swedes to the north.
0: Uh, First of all, I don't know much about, like, Sweden being involved in anything militarily, so this is kind of new. But Russia's a little too big and ridiculous to have a centralized government anyway, so maybe (laughs) this is how it should be.
1: This uh, really is indicative of uh, the, the title of this era, the Time of Troubles. Really fits. Yeah. But um, amidst all the chaos, Shushki is actually deposed by some angry nobles and common folk alike who were also just everyone was fed up with Shushki. It seems whoever took the Russian throne, people just fed up with them like, <laughs> instantly. What's interesting, though, is unlike anybody else uh, during this coup, he wasn't killed. He just went off and became a monk. Like, he was Tsar of Russia, and then he, like, it was like, you know what? Alright, fine. Nobody likes me. Okay, I'll just, I'll go be a monk now, and just, like, wandered off to a monastery, and, like, I'm fairly certain, uh, according to all records, he just died in a monastery somewhere. Like, he just went off and lived and died of natural causes. Good for him. So now, uh, there's only, the only Tsar in Russia is FD2. Did he rule, like, all of russia or was he still just in the south technically speaking he was czar of all of russia but he didn't last very long because he died five months later and was killed by a guy named pyotr rosov who was the head of his security oh. so he didn't Oops. uh he didn't last very long so after the death of fd2 and the uh monk-ing of shushki an assembly of Moscovites decided that they really uh, could use some stability. So they just handed Russia over to the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. They're like, you know what, we've tried this whole czar thing, so uh, you guys have it. And uh, unsurprisingly, some people did not like this idea. Uh, Namely the Cossacks, who uh, seem to have a track record of supporting the other guy in a lot of conflicts. So if you want to try and overthrow the dude in charge, the Cossacks... They're the guys you want to go to.
0: I really don't know that much about the Cossacks. Are they like a subgroup of revolutionary Russians, or are they foreigners who just really hate the Russians?
1: Uh, The Cossacks are a cultural group, so they're not an ethnic group. Technically speaking, anybody can become a Cossack, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, at least at this period in time. They are uh, just a band of brigands and adventurers like the name cossack literally comes from the turkic kazakh which the word means adventurer or free man and they just kind of occupied this area within the northern hinterlands of the black sea and caspian sea like this kind of like north area and they just existed there they were kind of brigands they raided and went around but they mostly dealt with like the tartar horsemen and the remnants of the golden horde and a bunch of other like people around there and then when the czars eventually absorbed them uh into themselves i believe it was under uh ivan ivan the terrible actually kind of like took them in as his like vassals Hmm. uh they eventually just started mucking about in russian politics
0: (laughs) pretty aggressively
1: Very aggressively. They eventually become actually uh, very big supporters of the Tsar over time. Uh, And they actually become kind of his, like, they become elite horsemen and they become, like, huge Tsarist supporters. So much so that during the Russian Revolution, they're considered, like, the strongest Tsarist element of that conflict. So they go from, I think, their their reasoning, the way I see it is, they keep trying to put the Tsar on the throne, and then once they eventually. Find a czar they like, they really stick with that guy. Gotcha. Anyway, the uh so the the Cossacks are like, we need to find somebody. So a third Dimitri pops up onto the scene. FD three, who was a uh, a deacon of Ivanograd. I Ivan Gorod. Ivan Gorod. Named uh Sidorka yeah, named Sidorka. So this deacon named Sidorka uh, rallied the Cossacks around him or really, I think the Cossacks like found him and just put him up and uh, he proclaimed him Dimitri. Uh, this dude looked nothing like Dimitri, uh, had no connection to Dimitri and was just a dude saying, I am Dimitri. And then he was killed in May of 1612. After so, having proclaimed himself Dimitri in March of 1612.
0: At this point, are they just like, anyone can claim to be Dimitri? Like, they're not even trying, really, to prove how they might be Dimitri?
1: Yeah, at, at this point, pretty much anybody can be Dimitri, it would seem. <laughs> As evidenced by the fact that apparently there was a fourth Dimitri, but every source I've encountered minus, like, one of them mentions the existence of the fourth Dimitri. They say he existed, but they don't go into any detail whatsoever. <laughs> they just say he, like, there was a fourth, and then that was it. This guy has so little information on him that even Wikipedia, Wikipedia doesn't have anything on the guy, except a little name tag that just said like, in a list that says Dimitri... False Dimitri IV, question mark, page needed. Hmm. My theory is that some guy, probably three months after FD3 died, uh, given the track record of these Dimitris uh, coming in like waves of three months-ish, stood up and said, I am Dmitry, the son of Ivan the Terrible, true czar of, and then got whack a by the Polish before he could even finish his speech.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just sounds like anyone can claim to be Dimitri as if, like if you really want to and maybe have a death wish. I, you definitely gotta have a death wish to become a Dmitry. And uh <laughs> with the
1: uh whackamoling of the maybe fourth Dmitry, uh so ends the final claimant to the throne of Dmitri the First Ivanovich of uh Russia, and he is now dead and gone. <laughs> All three of him. <laughs> maybe four. <laughs> Maybe four.
0: (laughs) Well, I have, uh, I think, two questions for you to kind of wrap this up. Okay. Number one, uh, who do you think, like, what do you think happened to the original Dimitri? Do you think he was actually killed when he was eight? Do you think it could be FD1 or any of the other ones?
1: I personally believe uh, that the original Dimitri was iced by uh, Vasily. I think... Uh, he was killed on the orders of Gudanov And then the other guy, the, the, uh, the monk was, uh, there is one of the sources says that he was in Russia and then claimed himself as Dmitry and was chased out. I personally think it makes more sense that he was already in Poland and then claimed himself to be Dimitri and the Polish were just like, Hey, this guy's claiming to be Dmitry. There's no legitimate heir. Here's some troops. Go give it a shot. (laughs) And just kind of threw this monk with an army at Russia. And
0: if they win, they win. If they lose, oh well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think historically that probably makes the most sense because it kind of is an easy way for Poland to get major influence in Russia without it being very high risk or high cost if it doesn't work out.
1: Precisely. And I I definitely don't think that he got anywhere near King Sigismund III. I think this was I think King Sigismund probably ordered the nobles to go with him, but I think this was very much a calculated play of, let's see how this plays out. If this, you know, I'll send some of the fringe nobles with their troops out and if they lose I can just claim that this random monk persuaded some of my nobles. Sorry about that. But if we win, I get to claim that I made the orders. <laughs> there you go. Like any good leader. Like any good leader. Yep. Delegation.
0: Well then my second question for you is uh are you Dmitri? <laughs> I am Dmitri Ivanovich. And then my door gets kicked down by the Polish. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> They've come for me. <laughs> so you think you know enough that you can answer some questions on uh Well, I already told you, it's probably more geared towards Ivan the Terrible than it is Dimitri, but Russian history, we'll call it that. I I think I could, yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll put you to the test. All right.
1: Come check out the Hiccups in History podcast, where I, your humble narrator, take you on a wild romp through some of the crazy moments in history. It is important to learn history, but that doesn't mean you have to be bored while doing it. We here at the Hiccups in History podcast believe that the best way to learn history is through its wild side. So come join us and always remember to laugh while you learn.
0: All right, welcome back. We like to end every episode with just a short three-question quiz to kind of test today's host see how much he studied his topic or around his topic. And sometimes the listeners might be familiar and can play along as we go. And since I've been working with guest hosts, that's where I bring them on to beat them up as a thank you for how much time and effort they put into (laughs) putting an episode together here. But I feel like you have a pretty good grasp on everything around this topic, and I think you're just going to nail it without really having to try too hard. Well, I'll try my best. (laughs) <laughs> so i kind of give away that this quiz might have a little more to do with ivan the terrible than it does with dimitri but i tried to stick around the topic and stuff that was in your outline so i think you will do okay um and just your general knowledge of history should help you too okay my first question for you is actually i'm pretty sure that we have talked about this on history's b-side before but Considering this is only your second appearance on History's B-Side, it will more depend on if you've listened to a lot of the back catalog of episodes. <laughs> so we'll see if you get rewarded for being a loyal listener or if you just uh, happen to know it. All right. So you mentioned that Ivan the Terrible was the first czar of Russia. My question for you is where does the term czar come from? Okay. Um, the term
1: czar... Oh boy, now I gotta rack my brain here a minute. If I remember correctly, the term czar originates from, much like, um, kaisar, which is the German term for emperor, originates from the Roman title Caesar, or, which is actually the proper Latin pronunciation because Caesar k's, uh, is kaisar. So, um,. I believe it is a continuation of like a deriv a derivative of that title uh that has been put through the uh Slavic script and uh a little bit of Greek considering the uh contact with Rome or the Roman culture that the Tsarist people would have had would have been through the Byzantines who kind of reverted to the Greek. <laughs>
0: You nailed that. <laughs> you explained that so much better than I would have. Like, I'm pretty sure when we <laughs> brought it up on a past episode, I used the phrase, they rushified it. <laughs> they rushified it. <laughs> but yes, yeah, it's from the Latin I word Caesar. <laughs> um, I, I did like that there's like variations on it to refer to their family members. I came across that. Like, I, I probably can't pronounce them right, but like, Zari- Zaritsa is wife tsarevich's son and tsarevna's daughter i thought that was kind of interesting um and then i also read that ivan the terrible took the term when he declared russia as the new rome and then he attempted to prove an ancestral line between himself and julius caesar (laughs) yeah uh he
1: the the funniest part about that is of all of them he actually has the least claim if i remember correctly to that whole idea of tracing back to Uh, imperial lineage the the group that would have the best claim who take the throne afterwards are the romanovs Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, because they actually have blood marriages to the byzantine throne so if all of them to be able to claim the new rome it would have been the romanovs who were just i i didn't talk about it much but uh they're just lurking on the outskirts of this entire story about the dimitris like, they're, uh, they're mentioned occasionally in some of the source work of, like, yeah, and they, like, he was, like, this Dimitri was backed by, uh, a, a priest who was, you know, so-and-so Romanov, or one <laughs> of the, uh, the royals, uh, the nobles who killed the, like, uh, one of the boyers was, uh, so-and-so Romanov, like it was just like they were on the fringes until eventually they just step
0: <laughs> up and go all right fine we'll do it ourselves and take over <laughs> all right well i think it's pretty clear that i'm not gonna stump you one of these but we'll, we'll <laughs> trudge on anyway number two what age did ivan the terrible become the grand prince of moscow what age did he become um he became grand
1: Prince, I want to say when he was th- in his 30s. I want to say he was in his 30s when he took over. I, do- I don't know an exact age, actually.
0: But I want to say he was in his 30s. You're actually pretty far off. <laughs> Am I really? Where, 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 how old So, was he? he became the Grand Prince of Moscow at age 3, but really? he spent much of his childhood like almost his entire childhood imprisoned in a dungeon and <laughs> only rose to power after his mother's death and he completed his education so he he really wasn't in power until later which is probably why you're thinking that but that's probably I, yeah but he yeah, first well, gained interesting yeah <laughs> I i i don't really remember i didn't read in too depth on it but said that he had a pretty let's call it a miserable childhood.
1: (laughs) You know, and that might have contributed to his later uh, downward spiral. (laughs) Yeah, his later, you know, it's kind of hard to be a a stand-up swell person when you spend your
0: your formative years in a dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) And your final question, I just thought this one was extremely interesting, although I'm not going to attempt to explain the whole backstory on it because it won't go well. But Dimitri was not the only Tsar to be impersonated after being assassinated. Can you name another? Um.
1: Yes, I believe it was um, Tsar Alexander I, I think, was one of the ones that got,
0: get in, got impersonated
1: as well after his assassination.
0: <laughs> this is not fair that you know history. <laughs> 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 the name I came across was False Alexis, who was impersonating Alexei Alexievich, who was murdered Alexievich. alongside his brother Simon Alexievich, and they were the sons of Tsar Alexei Mikha- You said the name Mikhailovich earlier in the episode, it was something similar to that. Yeah. Um, it, it did say that not much was really known about that whole story but the impersonator was never successful in ever actually becoming the Tsar of Russia. So not quite the legendary story of false Dimitri number one. It is definitely a fun
1: time, though, hearing about more Russian just succession crises. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I, I, um, I don't know fully when this will air, but um, at some point soon on my podcast, I plan to tackle a person who is very much on the A side of history, but who just had, as another story of a Russian leader, just not having a good go of it, which was Tsar Alexander, um, the great uh, reformer, who survived five different assassination attempts (laughs) and was eventually blown up. (laughs) And uh, I plan to cover his whole little his his relationship with socialism which was not a good relationship
0: I mean obviously again on the a set of history and focusing on the theme of Russian history and people that were surviving all kinds of deaths I've always been fascinated with the story of Rasputin and how like he possibly never died <laughs> because there's yeah. no records of his death and he survived like I don't know a dozen assassination attempts. I just think that's a funny story, too.
1: Oh, yeah. The tale of his assassination is just a riot to read through, because it reads like a Three Stooges sketch, but like an R-rated Three Stooges sketch, or something out of Monty Python that is just like, he was poisoned, and then stabbed, and then shot, and then drowned, and then (laughs) stabbed again, and
0: then... (laughs) like just it just kept happening and going and going and if he did die stalin destroyed the records of it <laughs> yes because thanks you stalin you <laughs> bastard <laughs> i don't think you mentioned on this episode about your podcast so if do you want to talk about it a little bit before we get out of here
1: yeah uh i am the uh host of the hiccups in history podcast which is a podcast that focuses, uh, it dips into the B-side, but focuses mostly uh, within the A-side of history. That is, portions of history that I find are, in my opinion, represented incorrectly because they're not told in the humorous light that they truly are. I like to look at the funny side of things and the entertaining side of history. Uh, I have an episode on the emu wars. I have an episode on the soccer war. Uh, between El Salvador and Honduras, as well as some others. uh, I deal with the two infamous marches into Russia by people who forgot to bring their winter coats and snowshoes and many other things along those lines. And I will, up and coming, as I said, will be an episode on a czar who has a no good, very bad day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you want to hear more of trey and his podcast you can find it probably on the same network that you're listening to history's b-side so please i encourage you to check that out if you'd like more from history's b-side you can find us on facebook twitter instagram and youtube at history's b-side or you can check out more at history's sidecom where if you feel so inclined you can support the podcast financially uh, you can also write to us with your comments suggestions corrections anything you like podcast at history's sidecom um, anything else? Don't really have much to say to you. Yep. So <laughs> thank you again for joining me, Trey. Uh, I really appreciate thank you for doing having this. me. This was great. Yeah. It, I know it's, it's a lot of work, but I definitely appreciate it and it helps keep the show going. So definitely love having guest hosts and new perspectives on here, including people that are very well educated in history <laughs> because clearly I am not. <laughs>
1: hey, I, I am happy to, uh, to play the part, but also I like you stumped me with one of those and I, uh, got me with one of those questions and I love learning new things and I love hearing other people's perspectives, specifically those who do not have a background in history because I find that those who do not have a background in history but have an interest of it have uh, some of my favorite takes on history. So this has definitely been enjoyable.
0: (laughs) The wrong ones, (laughs) the wrong takes on history.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't say the wrong takes, I would just say they're they're different
0: takes and I enjoy them immensely. And with that, keep listening to History's B-Side because, you know, most of the stuff we say is right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you, Trey, for joining me. It's a pleasure being here. Have a good night. History's B-Side is an independent, listener-supported podcast. Leave us a review or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting service, and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at History's B-Side. Send us your feedback or inquire about sponsorship and advertising opportunities by emailing us at podcast at historiesbeeside.com. You can support the show by becoming a member or making a one-time contribution at historiesbside.com. While you're there, check out our merch shop, extras, and more. This episode was researched and produced by your host, Philip Hall, and my co-host today, Trey DeFalco. Thanks for listening to History's B-side.